Hello, I'm Gemma Kearney and this is Life on Our Terms, a podcast with The Open University. Each week, I'm talking to a guest from a particular field about their education and career journey. We're going to find out about how they've made it and most importantly, how they keep learning along the way. I'm also catching up with a current OU student about how their qualification is helping them on the path to success. This is a series that's all about learning and succeeding on our own terms and hopefully in the process undoing some preconceptions that you might have about particular subjects. And talking of subjects, after last week's incredible chat about language, in this episode we're donning our lab coats to explore science on our terms. Now I'm sure many of you will be unsurprised to learn that science wasn't my strongest subject at school. I did enjoy messing about with a Bunsen burner, but I didn't take it any further and could never be given some of the very important responsibilities that our guest on this week's show has. I feel like recent events have prompted many people to think about pursuing more meaningful careers and really put science in the headlines. My guest today has made a career from health and medicine and then built a glittering broadcasting career alongside that, appearing on the Strictly Dance Floor, plus popular segments on ITV's This Morning and GMB as a health resident expert. I want to hear a bit about how he balances the two and how he carries on learning in all his roles. I'm delighted to introduce none other than everyone's favourite doctor, Dr Ranj Singh. Dr Ranj, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Let's dive right in because there's a lot to discuss. You have got so many strings to your bow presenter, author, and let's throw in the most important of all, doctor. (laughs) A lot of people say that I do a lot of things, but I ain't no doctor. (laughs) (laughs) How do you balance all of these roles, particularly with the gravitas of doctor by your name? Well, firstly, thank you for having me on. This is uh, amazing to be chatting to somebody like you, who I've been a massive fan of for a very, very long time, Gemma. Stop it! No, not, not even joking. I'm not even joking about it. Um, I'm one of these people that I'm very much like variety is the spice of life. Like there are certain kinds of people who dedicate themselves to one part or one thing and become really, really super specialist and really super good at it. And that's amazing. Me, I like to do lots of different things to keep my mind excited and entertained and occupied. I probably don't balance them that well, which is why I'm usually (laughs) up at like two o'clock in the morning emailing people. (laughs) And they're like, what are you doing? Why are you in bed? And I'm like, this is the only time I've had to get back to you. Um, The key for me is loving what you do. When you love what you do, it doesn't matter how busy you are, what you're doing or how many things you're doing, it all feels great. And I think that's that's how I do it. <laughs> I work all the time, it feels like. Um, weekends and weekdays kind of merge all together. But I love what I do and I'm so lucky to do what I do. Have you always loved everything that you do or do you think you have to work really hard to get to that point? I had to work to get to this point. You know, there's been certain points along my career pathway where I seriously question, is this really what I want to do? Do I need, what do I need to change? And taking that leap of faith and saying, I have to change. I've got to readdress my balance. I've got to, this isn't working for me. And it's really, 
we we're brought up in a way that um when we you know you you're you're told to learn and study and train for a particular job and when it's not working out you're kind of made to feel as though you can't really change and you can't and, and it's a, it's a massively brave move i think taking a step out of it and saying this isn't working and certainly even in you know you've listed off some of the things that i do um i started off being a doctor and doing that full time and i realized that actually it wasn't giving me all the fulfillment that I needed and I wasn't getting what I needed out of it completely, which is why I kind of had to step out and branch out a little bit and find my joy. So I kept my jobs going and, and the bits I love, but I really had to find my joy and be brave about it. I think finding one's joy is brave anyway. Yeah. You know, it's a brave act. Yeah. Because again, we're not necessarily told to do that. No. It's not <laughs> deemed as important when you're studying for your GCSEs. Yes. No teacher is, well, there are some excellent teachers out there. Yes. And, but, but it's not necessarily on the curriculum agenda to find one's joy within a professional space as well as a personal one. Yeah. And also an educational space. Um, mm. uh, you know, education... Uh, is incredible in this country and I don't want to knock it, but sometimes it feels like it's a tick box, ex box exercise. You have to jump through certain hoops to get to certain places. And to many young people, I think it can, and, and, and even some of us in later life, it feels like you're doing it just because you have to, and there doesn't seem to be any rational rationale or reason behind it. And it's always been a certain way. And I think that would be a really lovely change to see, wouldn't it, is to, encourage people not just to learn and be do their best when it comes to assessments and things like that but also to find something that really truly makes them happy and gives them fulfillment and satisfaction was medicine a vocation for you and how did you end up taking this particular route did you have a mentor when you were growing up i didn't have a mentor when i was growing up and it's so sad because at the time it didn't really feel like a an issue but in hindsight where I am now in life, looking back, I've realised the importance of mentorship and role modelling for people like me who were from less advantaged backgrounds, who were from ethnic minority groups who didn't necessarily see themselves on screen, which was my exposure to the world in, in, in a huge sense. Um, and I didn't really have that kind of mentorship. I had lots of very supportive people in my life. Uh, some wonderful teachers. I mean, teachers were probably my main source of support, I think, and encouragement as well as my my family and parents. Um, but medicine for me was kind of, kind of, in, in, in part way, it was me chasing my interest because I was always very scientifically minded. I always loved working at how things ticked. I always want, had this part of me that wanted to help people, this compassionate part of me. Um, my parents always encouraged me to be the best that I could be. So they, my parents were only educated to sort of early teenage levels. They grew up in India from farming backgrounds. So they weren't, so they, they work in manual professions they, and they wanted their kids to kind of have the opportunities that they didn't and make the most of those opportunities. So I always got that encouragement from home. And then I kind of just eliminated jobs as, <laughs> as I went along. I thought, 
I want to be an astronaut. Nah, that's probably pushing it. Um, I want to be a teacher. Oh, actually, that's really, really difficult <laughs> watching what my teachers do. <laughs> kind of went down the list and thought, do you know what? I'd really love to be a doctor, but never thought I was going to be clever enough and just... Hold up. You are so clever. <laughs> I, I ain't taking know. this. Come on. You got your first GCSE at what age, please, Dr. Ange? I was eight, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the caveat to that, my first GCSE is in Punjabi, which is my mother tongue, which is the language I've learned to speak at home. And we were made to go to Punjabi school every Sunday. Absolutely hated it. And taking the exam was my exit strategy. <laughs> so, so I thought, as soon as I get this exam out of the way, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I get my Sundays back. I can go, go out and play on the streets and all that other kind of stuff <laughs> that I wanted to do. Um, and I remember taking my certificate into my school assembly to my headmaster and saying, because I never got swimming certificate. People used to get like certificates and badges for swimming and throwing the javelin and all sorts of stuff. And I was naff <laughs> at sport. So I took this certificate in, which is the only certificate I'd ever got up until that point, took it into my headmaster and he almost fell on the floor. <laughs> I was like, he was like, do you realise what this is? I was like, no, nope, I'm got the foggiest. I did a test. <laughs> I did a test to get out of Sunday school and I thought I'd bring the certificate in. Can you do that really cool thing where you call people up to the front and give them their certificate, please? Amazing. <laughs> That's wonderful. So education has been weaved into the fabric of your <laughs> growing up, whether you liked it or not. Yeah, well, it's always the importance of education has certain been, certainly been instilled in me. And for me, education was my strategy to get to a better place, to make the most out of life, to achieve my goals. It was my ladder out of where I was. Um and it's always been instilled in me. It's an important part of my life. You've said some interesting things about making medicine accessible. Mm. How could medicine become more accessible in your mind? Because for me, that's where my mind boggles. I yeah. feel like we're often put into these categories of, oh, you're a scientific type, you're a creative type. And, and that's what made me this kind of like artiste <laughs> style kind of person, um, which has been to to my to my advantage and detriment. <laughs> but 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 I you know how can we change up that narrative? You're you're so right. I don't believe in pigeonholing because I feel like it limits people sometimes and it puts boundaries on what they can and can't do. I think the the thing about medicine and and certainly some other careers as well actually is that. People have preconceived ideas and notions about them. They think that you have to be of a certain background uh, or socioeconomic status to go into something like medicine. Um, you have to be of a certain intelligence level. You know, it, it, medicine is a demanding uh, course to train for. It is expensive. So you do, for, to some extent, it, that, that does put people off. And I totally understand that. But accessibility is all about levelling the playing field to me. It's about levelling it in terms of um, different people from different backgrounds, which just adds to the richness, I think, of the profession. Levelling it in terms of gender, levelling it in terms of ability. So there are so many disabled people, and I know some wonderful disabled doctors uh, and doctors of lesser ability uh, physically out there, um, who are incredible people and so many people who have disabilities don't feel like they can do medicine. And I think that that message isn't getting out there. We need to make it more accessible in so many ways. 
And I think part of that is going to be showing people that it can be done. So, and that's where I talk about role modeling and things and showing people from different backgrounds and different abilities and coming from different places, showing that they can do it and, and be great at it. And also the people who have the power need to facilitate that. So there, there needs to be a top-down system as well where people champion it, they sponsor it, it's positively encouraged and that, you know, things won't change until we do that. And fortunately, many medical courses are opening up to that idea. There is a, I mean, the statistics speak for themselves, but if you look at students who may have grown up in deprived areas or backgrounds, being from certain uh, backgrounds and cultures themselves, they may not achieve educationally the same as others because they haven't had the same opportunities. Not that they can't, they just haven't had the same opportunity. It's then looking beyond grades then, isn't it? And saying, well, actually you have potential. It's just the, the, the environment you grew up didn't show it, but you have potential. So accept, opening accessibility is about recognising that and doing things slightly differently. So was it a difficult industry for you to break into? Oh, that's a tricky one because... The thing with something like medicine is that I feel like the hardest part is psyching yourself up and setting yourself the challenge of getting into it and, and studying. Studying and doing the assessments and all the tests and things like that. Because once you're in university, and, and I, that's probably, I think, getting to that point was the hardest bit, there is a career pathway. You're, most people that get into medical school will end up being doctors or healthcare professionals. So you're kind of on that path then. There is still, I think, a little bit of inequality when it comes to gender representation, for example, in certain specialities. There's a whole movement around women in surgery because it's a male-dominated speciality. I work in paediatrics. It's actually a female-dominated speciality. And what we're trying to do is encourage more, more male professionals into it. So yeah, it's it, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a difficult industry to break into, but it certainly has its challenges. And, and, I, and I, I certainly think that we have a lot to do with encouraging people in and making it easier for people who have traditionally experienced more challenges than others to get into it. Given your medical expertise and some rare time with your brilliant brain, <laughs> it only feels right to ask you about the current situation that we're all facing what do you feel that the pandemic has done in terms of inspiration for people to get into healthcare, whether from an industry perspective or even just harnessing a better understanding of their own health and caring for themselves? Mm. It's, it's the effect of this pandemic has been interesting because I think there's been a certain group of people that have been inspired and empowered by it. So we've had... You know, we had hundreds of thousands of people volunteer in the first lockdown to help the NHS out. We've had people speak and I think behave very inspirationally in the public eye and on screen. And and that has encouraged people to get involved, which is fantastic. And what about uh, a newer generation of healthcare professionals? How can we look across the landscape and beyond mm. from a futuristic perspective and say that this will be over at some point 
And we're going to need to pull together and galvanize an, a new way mm. of motivating people to get in, into the industry that you are in. Yeah. My profession has changed and adapted in so many ways. And one of the best things that it has done is recognize the importance of well-being of staff. For so long, we have, and I think in many ways, quite rightly, put the well-being of our patients at the forefront the entire time. And so many people have neglected their own well-being to do that. And I think what we've learned from all of this is that you can't do the best by your patients unless you are looking after yourself as well and looking after each other. And that's one certain, certainly one massive positive that we will be taking forward. And I think what we've got to do is use the positive and the good lessons that we learned from this and show those to people who may be considering going into all of this and say, look, you can be a part of this. This was a huge thing that we did. And for everybody to have a sense of what that means. Yes. For, for us as a people, as you say, yeah. understanding that, that there is a bigger picture yes, to this. Absolutely. And that we need to take more care. And that goes to everybody from professionals to the everyday civilian trying yeah. to, to get by. You know? Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a bit of a reset moment for many people, I think. A, a bit of an, a, a rebalancing of what we want and what we need and what we can do for ourselves. But also, what can we do for each other? That's, yeah. the, that's the important part. A brave new world, Dr. Rand. <laughs> I'm so glad you're in it. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> if you could make one sweeping change to the way that we are all taught, be that science or anything else, what would you like to see? Do you know, one thing I've learned for myself, um, having done a lot of learning, I suppose, <laughs> and been at the, the receiving end of a lot of teaching and training, is... I discovered the best way that I learn is to learn flexibly. I don't learn in the same pattern as everybody else. And I think recognition of that and allowance for that. So why can't we do schooling part-time if that's the way you learn the best? Like I, I went to university, school full-time. I went to university full-time and then I was working full-time. And the thing about medicine is that you are working and training and learning at the same time. And I found that that was all too much. So I, I work part time in the NHS because I found that when I dropped my hours down, obviously you take a pay cut, that's kind of part and parcel. Um, when I dropped my hours, it meant that it gave me time to consolidate my learning that I was getting when I was on the shop floor, when I was at work, which meant that when I went to work, they got 110% out of me every time. And then when I got home, I had time to think and process and do all the other educational stuff that I needed. So I think flexibility and adjusting learning to people and, and, and the way people learn would be, for me, one of the most ideal changes. But I know logistically that's tricky. But why not apply that to university? Why not apply that to schooling? Um, I, I, yeah, I think that needs to be a bit more commonplace. Well, the open university does it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do you think of the OU and the idea of distance learning? It's the thing now. I mean, you could say that the OU were visionary when they came about with that. Totally. And there's so much we can learn from that. And I think there's so much good and positive um, and learning that we can take away from that model and use right now because that's the way we 
have to do it. And actually, I think a lot of people are learning that it works for them. It's the best way for them to do it. And why not? I've been so inspired by the students that I've spoken to during making this this particular podcast series because so many people are getting so much from it mm. and really succeeding yes. in goals even though it's from a distance it's it's really special yeah absolutely it's just like i said it's it's thinking in different ways isn't it different ways of doing things um the pandemic's taught us about different ways of doing work. A lot of people realise you don't have to go into the office. You can be just as productive, if not more, from home, if you're able to do that. Um, same with learning. A lot of people have have learned that actually this is the model that works for them. How do you keep learning, Dr. Ange? Like you, we've seen you learn to dance on Strictly <laughs> and get Try. behind a sewing machine on the Great British Sewing Bee, <laughs> which I also did once and I was oh. absolutely horrific. It's, it's hard, isn't it? <laughs> so hard, so oh fun, God. but so hard. Yes. But yes. what what do you do to to keep yourself understanding and and appreciating new skills and new things? Mm. I'm constantly learning, I think, and I've and I've always I've always lived that life. Like my entire life has been of constantly learning. My job is constantly learning um, because things change all the time. But for me, it's about always pushing myself pushing myself to do and try different things and just being, I guess, a little bit brave and, and giving something and going, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. And if it does work, great, run with it and see where it takes you. For those that missed out on inclusive science lessons when they were growing up or they're just starting to realise that they are getting a passion for it, how can they embrace learning about it now? Is there a particular book that could be a great entry point, a podcast? What should people be pursuing if they're suddenly getting that light bulb moment and they want to be like you? I, in, speaking in general terms, I think it is about discovering and recognising your passions and where your joy lies, exploring it in your own time, in your own way, first of all. You don't have to tell anybody because... I think a lot of the hesitation is in what other people may think of you, especially if it doesn't work out. And I think remove that pressure and do it in your own way, in your own time. And we are so lucky we have this huge online world with all these resources on it. And you can explore those in your own time. And then there are so many accredited courses that you can do. And we're talking about online learning so much more now, distance learning. It is a thing. It is a recognised thing. It is a mainstream thing. And I feel like... When things start to potentially calm down and people have a bit more space and headspace particularly to do this, you will see people taking advantage of all of these opportunities that are available to them where they don't have to be physically somewhere or travel anywhere, which has sometimes been a hindrance, but they can do it in the comfort of their own space, their own time, their own home. So yeah, go online, do some research, speak to people who've been doing it or are doing it at the moment. Go to the Open University website and have a look. Just, just browse. There's so much out there. It's so exciting. There's no obligation to do anything, but there's so much opportunity. If you were going to get another degree, <laughs> what would you, <laughs> what would you do it in? One, so... Obviously, people see me as a as a scientist, a medic, and I'm I, I'm I am very scientifically minded, and uh, that's my passion. But there's a whole side of me that I never really got to explore quite so much when I was growing up, which is my creative side, which is uh, why I think I kind of went into the media 
Uh, and that kind of happened by accident, but it was certainly a welcome accident for me because uh, a lot of people don't know, uh, I, I love art. I love music. I love dance. Uh, I, I, I did Panto last year and I discovered that I love theatre. I would love to be able to do something or learn about the performing arts. It feels like that's kind of like a void at the moment that I, I, I'm really interested in. And that's what I'd like to do, something a bit more concrete in that space. You just made me quite excited. <laughs> How great would it be for you to just take a bit of a detour and uh, become a theatre actor? <laughs> I, love, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not belittling it anyway, because obviously it's so hard and it's, you know, these people are experts and top of their game. But having had just a tiny glimpse of it, I, it's, it's magical to me. And I would love to, love to have some tiny part of that. What does ambition mean to you and how do you succeed on your own terms? I always say that ambition is one of the sexiest traits anybody can have. I find it the most attractive thing almost in someone. Um, and for me, ambition is growth. It is, it is about, I'm a firm believer in pushing myself out of my comfort zone a little bit. And I try to do it a little bit more every year. My measure of growth for myself is how much I've pushed myself every year. So every year, I don't really set a target, but subconsciously I think, right, what, where can I push myself further this year? How can I get out of my comfort zone a little bit? How can I disrupt my norm a little bit more? And that for me is ambition. If you do that, it doesn't matter what you do and you're going to end up loving it because you are putting so much of yourself into it and you will get something out of it. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been brilliant, really inspiring. I feel so much better about the future knowing that people like Dr. Ranj Singh exist. His capacity for human empathy combined with his skills and expertise in medicine, his scientific knowledge and a huge passion for the arts. Wow! I love Dr. Ranj. It was amazing to meet him and find out a little bit more about what motivates him. I feel like he's consistently open to learning new things as well and challenging himself. I find that very inspiring. The idea of reskilling yourself or embracing learning as an adult is something that the Open University is dedicated to. They're all about education as a route to achieving your ambitions. And I met with Jazan to hear a bit more about how her OU course is working to further her career goals as she's studying for a degree in health science alongside working full time in medical governance. Yo, Jazan, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining the podcast. First things first, do tell me about what you're studying at the moment. Uh, so currently I'm studying a bachelor's in healthcare and health science. What made you do it? Uh, so it links in with what I'm currently doing. Um, so I work for a life science company and um, I'm in a department called medical governance. And in order to progress in uh, my team and my department it was obvious to me that I needed a credible qualification um, in sort of the science sector and the healthcare and health science qualification at OU was the perfect match for me really. In my interview with Dr Rand he talked about making science and medicine accessible so that more people are encouraged to do it that it feels more appealing 
for a younger generation. What encouraged you to get involved in it? So originally, funny enough, I wanted to be a firefighter. So STEM was nothing I ever really wanted to go into. And then I was looking for apprenticeships originally. That that was sort of my route through this and found um, that life sciences and these sort of things was exactly what I wanted to do. And I've been loving it ever since. Um, I've seen sort of the great things that you can achieve in this sector. And as a woman in STEM as well, it makes me really proud because sort of the STEM sector is really male dominant. Everyone in the STEM sector tends to be a lot older, like I said, tends to be male. And I'm sort of defeating those statistics and sort of showing, do you know what, you can do anything, no matter who you are, you know, put your head down and you'll get there. Are your employers supportive of your studying alongside your job? Yes, um, my employers are really supportive, which is great. Um, It's always good to have that support around you. Um, My team and my manager have been absolutely brilliant. What do you love most about the course? Uh, What I love most about the course is the flexibility. Um, So I can work it around my uh, sort of work, home life, social life, everything. Um, I'm learning whilst I'm still progressing within my career, which is perfect. It's the perfect balance. Can you tell me a bit about your study routine and how you balance everything? Um, So the way I balance everything is I... Uh, work Monday to Friday so I know my dead set hours which is good um, so I can plan for the week ahead Um, and then after I finish work I don't want to be doing any more work so I try and plan out to study on the weekends so my each OU week starts on a Saturday for me so if I get the work done on the Saturday then I'm ahead for the week if that makes sense So if I basically try and get it done on the weekend, on the Saturday, then I've got the Sunday to relax. So it's just it's just really about planning it out. And then once that's planned out, you can work around that. Sort of get your priorities planned out first and then plan the rest later. And it seems to work really well for me, to be honest. I would be shimmying around the house for a whole (laughs) afternoon if I knew that I'd nailed my OU course in the morning. Bang. Do you have a lot of contact with your tutors? Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, my tutor is always in contact via email or um, trying to set up sort of individual uh, tutorials to run through any sort of questions I might have on an upcoming TMA tutor marked assignment, um, things like that. So it's really good. Even though it is distanced learning, it feels like your tutor's sort of there constantly um, checking on you, making sure, you know, things are running smoothly, which is good. And can you tell me a little bit about the course content itself? Like, do they give you a variety of study materials? Yes. Yeah, so what is really good about the course is the the variety. Um, I'm the sort of person that likes variety. Sometimes I don't like sort of doing the same thing all the time. It, it will get quite boring. Um, so yeah, the the content is is variety, whether it's sort of text or sort of quizzes or um, you know reading extracts or um, you know even just sort of thinking for yourself. So they might say, okay, what um, like forums? So they might ask a question and you sort of put your answer into this forum, and other students can interact in that forum and compare notes and things like that. So. Yeah, the the content, um, there's a big variety, which is good. Um, It keeps you interested, definitely. 
I know that your course aligns quite nicely with your professional work. Yes. How how do you see that synchronization? And are there any unexpected moments where they really, really complement each other? Yeah, I see a lot of similarities. I mean, even the skills I have to learn in my course help me develop within my role as well. So sort of my organisation and my time management of my course then projects into my work as well. It helps me to sort of manage those sort of skills um, and develop within my workplace. So, yes, there's uh, sort of transferable skills and things between the two, which is really good. You're doing amazing stuff. What do your friends and family think? Uh, So my friends and family, they're really proud. Um, So I'm the first to go to university out of my siblings. Mum and dad are, are really proud um, sort of extended family, any family around me, they're really proud. All my friends are really proud as well, all sort of cheering me on, and some of them are, are, are you themselves. Um, so we're sort of cheering each other on, I guess. Um, my partner and my work, um, they've all been really supportive. You know, they know what I want to do and they know this is the way to achieve it. So they've all been really great. And how do you think your course will help enhance opportunities in the future when it comes to your ambitions? I think this uh, qualification is going to open a ton of doors for me. Um, so it's it's healthcare and health science, so it covers a broad range um, of subjects. Um, so I've touched on certain things so far, like social work, um, bits of nursing have come up in the course so far, things that I've, I don't do, I'm in the private sector. Um, So, you know, say if one day, you know, I did want to make a change in career, this qualification could do that for me and it could help me progress with my current career. So it's given me a lot of options um, for things that I might want to pursue in the future. Do you have any advice for someone considering getting involved and trying distance learning? I definitely say do it. So it it teaches you a a lot of lessons, you know, like I said, the flexibility, the organisation, the time management, which is really key um, to sort of transfer into the real world as well. And do you believe that anyone can achieve anything if they put their mind to it? I definitely agree. Definitely. I mean, I never saw myself in this position when I was leaving school just over three years ago, to be honest. Um, You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do at first. It was sort of I had the idea of being a firefighter. But what I'm doing now is completely different to that. Um, You know, anything you put your mind to, if you've got that determination, you can get there. I believe that 100 percent. Shazam, the world is your oyster. What are your ambitions for the future? I'd like to sort of be a role model eventually to show people um, that basically, if you put your mind to it, you can do it. Thank you so much, Jazan. Good luck with everything. I feel so excited for you. Thank you, Gemma. It's blown my mind to hear about how scientific fields can be made more accessible, particularly for someone who doesn't feel like they have a scientific bone in their body. That a career in medicine could potentially cover all sorts of different areas and that you can turn that passion for understanding how things work into a career path. Science can take you to all kinds of places. I think it proves that you don't have to stay in the boxes that people try and put you in. It's always possible to learn something new, whatever stage you're at in your career or education. Next week, we're brushing up our business skills with entrepreneurship on our terms. 
when I'll be talking to Jamal Edwards, innovator and founder of the YouTube channel and media company SBTV, about self-belief and risk-taking. I can't wait to hear all about it. Don't miss that conversation. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And whilst you're there, why not give us a quick review? See you next time. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to Life on Our Terms, a podcast with The Open University. It was presented by me, Gemma Kearney, and produced by Listen Entertainment. Listen Entertainment.